Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. My name is Zach. Uh, if we have not met, I would love to meet you, but uh, I've been on staff for about two years now, and specifically I work uh, on PAC staff, and if you don't know what the PAC is, um, I would love to talk about that with any of you as well. Um, maybe you don't recognize me because usually I'm wearing a hat or uh, flip-flops or honestly maybe not wearing shoes at all. Um, ben, when he asked me to preach, made sure that I knew I had to had to actually wear shoes. So um, yeah, we're all good. But uh, guys, I'm so glad to, to be here this morning and to jump into the passage um, and see what, what God's word really has for us. So I wanted to start this morning with a simile and a story. Um, so first the simile. I was thinking of a way to kind of summarize where we've been in James so far. And what I thought of was, um, I think we have a picture of it, light refracting through a prism. Um, and so mini science lesson. Uh, if you don't know how a prism works, white light goes through the prism. There it is. So white light goes through the prism and white light is actually a, a combination of all the different colors. And so that shape, the prism, causes the light to separate and refract into those different colors. And you can see them each uh, uniquely and, and separately. And in a lot of ways, the whole Bible, but specifically the book of James, kind of works as, as a refraction, a separation of our faith walk, right? And so We've seen it, um, just to summarize, and, you know, Nathan and Ben and um, Francis and Rob have gone through partiality and, and the tongue and wisdom and suffering. And so each one of those passages you can think of as, as a color that's been separated. And we can really see where, um, I love the, the wording that Nathan used last week, the, where the rubber meets the road of those different areas of our faith walk. So today we're going to be um, in James 4, 13 through 17 specifically, but the, the color, I guess, that you could think of that James covers is God's will. What is God's will for my life? What, how, do you, how does he want me to make decisions? What does he want me to do with this life that I've been given? So that's the topic, um, and that was the simile. Now here's the story, kind of to give you context on how I've wrestled with this question. So uh, I went to uh, college here at TCU. Um, and my senior year, I, I loved my senior year. I, I lived with four guys and it, and it was super great. Um, we, uh, I feel like I knew my way around campus and I, Fort Worth really felt like home. Um, I loved my schedule. Um, my friend group had really solidified in a lot of ways and senior year was, was a blast. Um, Thanksgiving break, some people start to talk about graduation. Some people start to talk about the internships that they had last summer and some job offers. Um, and then it was winter break and got some more people talking about job offers. And some of my roommates started to get those job offers. Um, now it's mid-February. And uh, I've probably applied to about 50 jobs at this point, maybe 75, and got rejected from all of them. Meanwhile, it feels like everyone around me has already got a job secured. And some people are even turning down jobs for better ones. Uh, meanwhile, I mean nothing. So senior year, after spring break, um, mid-April, 
kind of right around this time, actually, I'd probably applied to around 100 jobs and had gotten rejected from every single one of them. Um, and at that point, it's hard not to ask the questions, right? Why, God? Why are you giving other people these opportunities and not me? Why um, am I doing something wrong? What, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Uh, just this feeling of, of being lost, honestly. Um, and that's where I was um, you know, near the end of my senior year. We're going to be in James 4 this morning. James 4, 13 through 17, like I said. Would love for you to flip there if you've got a Bible. Um, and we got some in the back if you don't. Um, but let me read the passage and really let's start to unpack what is God's will for my life. So we'll read the passage and then, and then I'll pray for us. So this is James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let me pray for us quick. Lord, um, pray that you would just bless this time we have this morning. I pray that you would um, work in all of our hearts. I pray that um, I would just be able to get out of the way and that you would um, speak in this place and, and your truth and your grace would be lifted up um, and we would just leave here changed and, and more in step with who you are and who you call us to be. We love you. Amen. Okay, so um, the first way we may choose and often do choose to live our lives is on what I'm calling a hollow path, a hollow path. A good way to think about a hollow path is a path that we take when our plans are self-centered. When um, we go throughout life making our own decisions and we make those decisions based on our own judgment alone. And I want to be very specific with my word choice of hollow also. I'm using the word hollow because from a distance, this looks complete, right? We see what business champions its success. We see what people have achieved around us, and we want to strive after those same things. But when we get up close and, and start to actually achieve some of those things that we've been striving for, we see that they ultimately don't uh, give what they promised to give us in the first place. And so we move to the next thing. And it's because of this that we don't actually know that the things that we're striving after don't give what they promise until we've already achieved them. This is where James starts his passage. Let's look again at verses 13 and 14. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, for your life is but a mist. that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Okay, so James has expanded, expanded on this idea of a hollow path. But from the passage, what are the things that draw me down this hollow path? Or another way to think about it is what does James say are some of the indicators that I'm walking on this hollow path, making hollow plans? I want to highlight uh, two things, and the first is this. On a hollow path, I get to be in charge. Making plans without God is enticing, 
because I get to be in charge. Look again at the scenario that James sets up in the very beginning of, of verse 13. Tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make trade and make a profit. In this scenario, man is completely in charge. Man makes the decisions on where we go, on the profit that they're making, what, how long they'll be there, and there's absolutely no mention of God, right? I am doing whatever I think is best. You may be thinking to yourself that um, surely you don't do this, but guys, we do this all the time, every single one of us. Let me, let me prove it to you. So let's say um, you come to TCU, and let's just say you're pre-business, right? So freshman, sophomore year, you're knocking out those intro classes, um, trying to keep the GPA to get into the business school. Um, you know, let's say you join a Greek house, you join some clubs, you make some friends, um, the whole thing, right? So you keep the GPA up, um, and you were hoping in those intro classes something would kind of stand out to you on what you want to major in once you get into the business school. But um, nothing really stood out, so you just pick finance, for example. Um, okay, so now you're a junior or a senior in the, in the finance major at, at Neely, and um, you're starting to think about internships, right? Because it's junior, senior year, those start to matter. You're hoping maybe for an internship that will turn into a job when you graduate. And so... Um, you get a job offer, let's say your senior year, um, because you wanted to stay close, so you pick a big company in Dallas, apply there, they give you a job offer, great. So now, end of your senior year, you graduate, and you say this, I'm a, I'm a fill-in-the-blank Greek house finance major with this job going to work in Dallas. But where is God in all of that, right? We start to build these lives around these earthly things, and if we're not careful, we start to identify, like, those, those earthly things are who I am. I'm going to work in Dallas at that company. That company, that job that I got is who I am. Or my major, or my Greek house, that's who I am. These earthly things start to become our primary identity. I'm no longer a son or a daughter of the king first, but I've listed these other things when I start to wrestle with, really, who am I? And the reason that either consciously or subconsciously we start to list these other things first is that we start to get a sense of security from the life that we built up around us. But what happens when those things get pulled away? For example, what happens if that job offer gets revoked? Or what happens when you know, it's senior year and your friends move away? that sense of security that we've built up around these earthly things turns out to be false and so, so fragile. And this is the lie of the hollow path. We start to make ourselves the center of our decisions and we put our hope and our trust in things that are so easily shaken and can't actually give us security. The other indicator we get to know if we're on a hollow path, making plans apart from God, is by judging the return that we get on our life and, and our actions. On a hollow path, we pursue temporary rewards. And don't get me wrong, these rewards are enticing. Gosh, they are enticing. Otherwise, we wouldn't pursue them, right? Think about it. It's all the things being championed by Neely, by the business world. Um, it's like security, like we just talked about, but it's a whole list of things, right? Fame, wealth, pleasure, recognition, belonging, even leisure, right? 
And let me be really clear. None of those things in themselves are bad. It is good to be recognized, right? It is so, so good to, be, to feel a sense of belonging. But if this becomes our ultimate pursuit, our ultimate goal, it's going to leave us empty. Look at these two examples. These are both quotes from two famous men who achieved everything they dreamed of and are still left wondering what is, what is there. This is Jim Carrey, the actor. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This is another quote from Tom Brady. There are times when I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have all these Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. Me, I think, gosh, it's got to be more than this. It's the lie that plays out again and again in every single one of our lives, and we all fall prey to it, right? If I would just achieve this thing, then I would be happy. If I would just get to this level, if I would just get this position, if I would just get this friend group, then I would be happy. And it's especially in this environment, right? It's such a caution because we, right, most of us go to TCU. We have been set up by TCU to succeed in really sweet and good ways in the, in the world, in the business world. Um, but it's because of that, of the, that success that we've been set up for, that we believe that we're so close, Right? If I just do a little bit more, then I'll get to this place and I'll be happy. Right? I just need to do a little bit more to get to this place. I'm almost there. But here's the caution that the text has for us. You're not almost there. Because there's not a place to get to. If we chase happiness, we're going to end up miserable. Because happiness is a moving target and a fleeting emotion. If we chase happiness, we're going to end up miserable because happiness is a fleeting emotion and a moving target. At this point, things may rightly seem hopeless. Uh, and this is where James leaves us in verse 14 as well. Uh, if you look again at verse 14, that word mist that he uses, it immediately takes me back to Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes is a book in the Bible in the Old Testament. Um, many think that it's written by King Solomon. And Solomon had every imaginable earthly thing available to him. And in the book, he wrestles with what he calls the vanity of life, the futility of life. And he comes to the same conclusion for every single one of them. They're fleeting and empty. I think we have or Ecclesiastes 2.11, but I'll read it for you. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. If we go on long of us, oh, if we go on long enough, every single one of us will come to this point of potential hopelessness as we strive after these temporary things of the world. But here's why it's not hopeless. Here's why it's not hopeless. Christ came. Christ, the Son of God, 2,000 years ago, lived a life as a Jewish carpenter, but a perfect life. He claimed to be the Son of God. He lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and rose again from the grave, defeating death. That truth we celebrate every Sunday, 
that truth we especially celebrated on Easter Sunday just a few weeks ago. And Christ came to die and rose again, not only to prove that he was the Son of God, but with his death, he purchased us. He paid for us to have the opportunity to be in a personal relationship with the Father. And this is so important, right? Out of the hopelessness found on a hollow path that every single one of our lives was on, every single one of our lives was on a hollow path, making hollow plans. Out of that hollow path, Christ has purchased for us not only eternal salvation, but the opportunity to have a life filled with purpose and satisfaction. It's what scriptures call life overflowing. This is John 10.10. 10. We, we throw this uh, verse around a lot in the college ministry. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Christ came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the alternative to the path of making plans apart from God. We have the opportunity to live life overflowing, abundantly, completely full. And please hear me say this. We will always have the opportunity to live a life overflowing. No matter how many decisions we feel like we've botched or messed up, no matter how many times we've, we've found ourselves um, drowning in, in the temporary earthly um, things we strive after, we will always have the opportunity to turn and live a life overflowing with Christ. For some of you, you may be hearing that for the first time, and I am glad that you're here hearing me say this. And so let me say it again. The God of the universe his son, sent his son Jesus to die for you personally, and by his resurrection, he calls us into eternal salvation with him through faith, and he also calls us to a life overflowing and abundant. The offer Jesus has bought for every one of us is to turn from a path of hollowness that returns void and turn to a path of fullness, a full path. What do I mean by full path? If hollow path is plans made apart from God, then a full path, a full path is plans made with God and for God. And this is where James picks up in verses 15 and 16. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So what are some indicators of a full path? Similarly to the hollow path, I think there are two main markers. Number one, I put him in charge. And I do the planning based on his criteria. In verse 15, we see the clear contrast, right? It starts with the word instead. And what is the instead that he's asking us um, of? If the Lord wills. If you're writing your Bible, I would definitely recommend underlining that phrase. If the Lord wills. A life walking on a full path puts the Lord in, Lord in charge by continually viewing every decision we make through the lens of, does God want this for my life? Does God want this for my life? And this doesn't come naturally at all, right? We want to be the ones in charge. We want to control, we want to maintain, we want to be the ones in charge. We, we want to be on the throne of our own kingdom. But when we can remember to put him in charge, we begin to find more of the fullness life has to offer. 
Ben mentioned it in the announcements, but next week, um, instead of the night service, we're doing a baptism night. And baptism is explicitly this concept, right? The people getting baptized are saying, I am dying to myself and I'm raising again with Christ. The life that I live is no longer my own. He is my Lord. That is what baptism, that's what the picture of baptism is. When I put him in charge, some things also start to change. How well I'm doing isn't measured by success anymore. And it's not measured by easiness or prosperity. It's measured by obedience. Am I being obedient to the one who has purchased my life? Am I being obedient? I no longer have to look to ask myself if I'm measuring up to the continual shifting of the world's standards because Christ's standard is never going to change. Am I being obedient to his will? In a career context, where I work begins to not become so important. And how I work and why I work are increasingly important. In my decisions am I, uh, that I'm making, am I doing them for the Lord? The, w- the why and how I work are no longer measured by the same things because who I'm working for has changed. And the same is with our decisions, right? It's no longer a what or a where question. It's a how and a why question. I am no longer on the throne. I'm no longer in charge. I'm working for his purpose and his glory. And because of that, it can be incredibly freeing. The other indicator we get of a life on a full path is pursuing eternal rewards. Instead of chasing after a moving target, I get to chase after the things that Christ has purchased for me. The eternal rewards that we get to pursue are true purpose and true satisfaction. By true purpose, I mean this. We are created by God to worship him. We are created by God to worship him. But the world is incredibly distracting. And along the way, we started to worship other things, right? Fame, wealth, security, success, control. We started to worship these other things. Because we're all, whether we realize it or not, we are always worshiping something. While some of the things that I listed are not bad in themselves, none of them None of them were meant to be worshipped because they were created by man. Instead, we can turn from worshipping these earthly things and worship our creator. And when we do that, we fall into our true purpose. We get to give glory to the Lord who loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us and purchased for us the, the rejection that we, that we had given him. I said earlier that happiness is, a, is such a dangerous thing to chase because it's a moving target and a fleeting emotion. And I also want to say this. In the Bible, happiness is not once guaranteed by the Lord. Happiness is not once guaranteed by the Lord. But continually throughout the Bible, what is promised by the Lord is joy. Uh, I wish I had more time to, to really flush this out, but I want to take you guys to, to Psalm 16, specifically Psalm 16, 11. Um, and, it, and really all of Psalm 16 is, is just incredible, but let me read Psalm 16, 11 for you and, and would encourage you to, to spend some time in that um, on your own. But here's Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we change what we're striving for from happiness to joy, we can cling to joy. We can strive for joy. Joy will not leave us empty like happiness may. Even when things in life get hard, because they will, we can still be incredibly content and satisfied in who God has made us to be and who he says we are, and the purpose for our life is clear. So we spent the last 23 minutes um, comparing the two paths set up in the passage, a hollow path and a full path, right? A hollow path is plans, is, is a path where I make plans apart from God. I am the ultimate authority and I am ultimately pursuing temporary rewards, earthly rewards. But Christ came and with his death and resurrection, he purchased for us a new, a new way, a new path to walk on. And he also purchased us uh, eternity. And as we walk in that eternity, we also get to um, live a life overflowing. A hollow path and a full path are a complete contrast to each other because on the full path, I put God in charge and I chase eternal rewards that truly do satisfy. So these are the two potential paths we can walk on. Let's get really practical and answer the question, how do I pursue a life lived on a full path? How do I make sure my life is lived on a full path? How can I live life overflowing and abundant? So let's go to verse 17 and, and then answer this question and on some applications. This is verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If we're going to make sure our feet are firmly planted on a, ho- on a full path, we have to begin to rema- reframe our mindset around our jobs and our daily lives. We have to break down the walls of compartmentalization and see that God is not just the Lord of our Sundays, but he's the Lord of every day of the week. We have to walk in a reality that says, my future job is not just my future job. It's an assignment from the Lord. My future job is not just my job. It's an assignment from the Lord. And what I mean by that is that we have to start seeing the career path we end up on as a God-given area assigned to each of us specifically to make his name great. What if my primary concern for my career was not Am I doing well? Am I succeeding? Instead, what if my primary concern was how can I glorify God and tell others about him in the place that he has put me? And truthfully, let me take a step back and say this. It doesn't just need to apply to our jobs, right? My classes are not just my classes. They're an assignment from the Lord. My hobbies and my interests are not just my hobbies. They're an assignment from the Lord. And what they've been assigned to me for is to connect with other people who share them and tell them about Christ and share his love and his truth. This mindset will help us stay on a full path. So I want to leave you with a question you can ask yourself. Do I view every different area of my life as a God-given assignment? Do I view every different area of my life as a God-given assignment?
The second way we can pursue a full path is by identifying um, areas we are delaying obedience. We get this directly from verse 17, so I'm going to read it again. And if you underline, I would uh, definitely recommend marking up verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James is really clear with his wording, right? He doesn't say it's frowned upon. He doesn't say it's unwise. He calls it sin. Knowing the things we should do, being convicted of something by the Lord, and not doing it is sin. So often we think of sin as a list of don'ts, right? M- most of the Ten Commandments, of, but if we narrow sin down um, to just a list of don'ts, we narrow it too much. There's a whole category of sin called sins of omission, where we don't do the things we know God is calling us to do. A great diagnostic question to help you ask yourself if you're omitting these actions that God is calling you to is what's the next obedient step? What's the next obedient step? Because like we said, success is not measured by profit or numbers or easiness. It's measured by obedience. So learning to ask yourself constantly, Lord, what is the next obedient step will help us make sure we're walking on a full path. Usually, we're de- we are delaying obedience because we like the way things are at that moment. We don't want to. We don't want things to change. We like the way that the, we have maintained and controlled, which transitions perfectly into the last application point. <clears throat> if we're going to walk on a full path in partnership with a, the abundant life Christ has offered, we have to know and trust who He is and the depths of His character. We have to know and trust who He is. If we are going to make plans with him and for him, we have to know what kind of plans he would want us to make. We have to know what kind of decisions he would want us to make. And there's no way around it. The only way we can do that is by a personal relationship with him. Because we don't have the perspective that he has. We have to have a personal relationship with him. We have to know him intimately. This is a story in the Bible that might surprise you, um, just to demonstrate that point. Um, In the Gospels, Jesus tells his disciples to row across the Sea of Galilee, which should have only taken about an hour or two. Um, But the scriptures say that the disciples rowed all night long and they feared for their lives. Jesus told them to, to row, go row across the sea. And he also told them when to start rowing. He knew that that storm was coming, right? It's not, a, it's not a question of easiness. The reason that story is in the Bible is because from that experience, the disciples trusted in Jesus. They trusted in Christ more. They saw who he was. Like the other two applications, I want to leave you with a question you can ask yourself. And the question is this. Do I know him well enough to trust that what he has for me is better? Do I know him well enough to trust that what he has for me is better? And there's no way around it. The only way you can ultimately know that is through a personal relationship with him, like I said. And that looks like spending time with him every day, just like you would cultivate a normal relationship. So sometimes at the end of careful consideration, we have two really good God-honoring options in front of us, right? If we're making a decision, we the Lord might say, both of these decisions 
are God-honoring to me. So just pick one and start running. Other times, though, one of the options becomes really clear. This is where God wants me. And that's what happened with my story. So let me take you back to the, the story from my intro, and, and we'll finish it out. So at the end of my senior year, um, like I said, hadn't gotten offered any jobs. And so um, Ben came to me and offered me a part-time role in the college ministry here. Uh, and I took it. And, and that year, um, really in the beginning especially, I was wrestling with this concept, this idea that I had failed at finding a real job. And so that year of doing part-time ministry, I was also applying to a bunch of jobs. Uh, I probably applied to about another 50 and got rejected from most of them. Um, but then one day I got offered a job and really um, it was the perfect job. I wanted to be working with college students and, and this company offered me to, to come on and rebrand their college recruiting uh, team. So I would fly across the country going to college career fairs. Um, I would be working with Christians, which we talked about in the interview. Um, the pay was great. Um, and it really, it was like the job that I was looking for. Everything lined up on paper. And I turned it down. Uh, I ended up turning it down. And here's why. When I got offered that job, I realized the reason that I wanted it in the first place. I wanted it because I wanted to be in charge of my own success. I want to be in charge of my own security, right? And this job offered me that. And it was only, and I had never really asked the question, God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I had never asked the question, God, what do you want me to do? I was thinking about myself and the, the, what made most sense to the world and to my own criteria. And it was only because I was able to look back not only at the year of ministry that I'd already done, but also just on my life and seeing the way that God had showed up for me, the ways that he'd been faithful despite hard circumstances. And so I was able to turn down and sacrifice that job and, and the worldly things that came with it because I had seen and remembered and trusted that if God had done the things that he had done in the past, he would continue to be faithful and do them in the future. And this won't look the same for all of you, but the truth remains the same. Looking back on what he's done will help us trust in what he will continue to do. Here's what I want you to be taking away from all this. There are two paths we can take at any given moment of our lives. There's a hollow path where we make hollow plans. We're in charge but we ultimately end up pursuing temporary earthly rewards and we're stuck chasing after things that don't satisfy. The other path is a full path where we give it all to God and with him in charge, we find true satisfaction. Jesus's death on the cross and our faith in him allows us to choose that full path and make full plans. And if we begin to reframe our mindset, he will do incredible things in every single area of our lives. Let me pray. Lord, uh, just thank you for this time. We um, ask that you would continue to make known how you want us individually to just live your life for you. God, we know um, that what we just know that you, what you have for us is better, but at the same time, just help us. Help us to believe. Help us to trust that what you have for us is better, Lord. I pray that as we leave this place that we would just continue to fall more in love with you and who you are and, and also, God, that we would just walk more clearly and in step with who you've called us to be. God, we love you. Amen.